Well, uh, good afternoon and great to be with you. Um, Simon alluded earlier about the Freedom in Christ Day that over the last couple of months we've been exploring the theme of what it means to be restored in the image of God. And also that when we see ourselves as God sees us, we find freedom through the person of Jesus Christ. This morning we're getting to the book of Romans um, and looking at how we can continually renew our mind. So if you go to Bibles with you, please turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to read the first eight, vase, eight verses. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each one of us has one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is given, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Amen. Now, over the summer, at work, I was asked to look at a particular system that the bank that I work for uses to be able to detect potential instances of fraud or money laundering. Now, each day, that system reviews millions and millions of transactional information. And if it sees an unusual transaction from all the information that it is reading, it immediately generates an alert and then someone investigates that alert. My job was to report back and determine whether that system was any good. Now, like my bank, many companies right now are turning to a newer form of technology called artificial intelligence to be able to help them fight financial crime. A helpful way to understand what artificial intelligence means, if you're not familiar with it, is to think of the software that enables things like Siri on your iPhone to work. Or if you have a Netflix account, or if you shop at Amazon, or even if you are following the whole thing about driverless cars. These systems, they take all the information about how you use these devices, and then they learn your pattern of behavior. And then they use all that information, and then they develop a profile of you, of what your interests are, what you like, what you dislike, what are your interests, what are your tastes. So, for any Netflix fans, you will know that if you watch a film, 
and then you go back either the following day or week, you have a bit that says, because you watched this film, here are also some films that I want to recommend. It has learnt what your tastes and what your interests are. Or like if you shop on Amazon and you buy something, next time you go in, again, suddenly you think, why are there so many similar adverts coming to, to me? That is a whole concept of how this technology works. So the idea of artificial intelligence is to mimic the brain and to think like humans do. Now, in a similar way, the way the system at the bank that I refer to knows what is usual or unusual, knows what is true or what is false, and that several times a day, every single day, it absorbs information about what the bank holds about your transactions so that it can build a complete and accurate picture and profile about who you are and about how you spend your money. And then that profile that it builds then becomes the true picture of what normal looks like for every single customer. And so, to determine if the system was good enough, I had to make sure of two things. One, that every single day, data or information is being fed into that system. It's important that this happens every single day because the more regularly the system is fed with information, the more mature and the more effective it is. Two, that the data or the information that is being fed into the system has to be complete and accurate. If the system was only feeding or you know, receiving part of the information, then the profile that it develops of you as a customer and how you like to transact will not be quite accurate. And so if these two things were working well, daily and complete and accurate information, then we could say that the system was effective at detecting what is true or what may be a fraud. Now, the way this system works reminded me of the passage that we're going to be looking at today. Because God wants us to be transformed by daily, regularly, feeding our mind with the full truth. Not part of the truth, but the full truth of what he says about us. So that when things come into our mind that are lies, or that when things happen to us that make us see ourselves differently to how God sees us, we can immediately identify it like an alert, throw it out, and then replace it with the truth. This is the way that the Bible and this passage teaches us to renew our mind and to break free from wrong thinking so that we can live in the freedom that we find through the person of Jesus. So Paul begins the chapter 12 that we've just read by summing up all that he has been explaining in the previous chapter, and he brings it down to this one point. Our lives do not belong to us to live as we please. Instead, and it is only by the mercies of God and not human effort, that we are to present our bodies, our whole active life, as a living sacrifice, and which is our spiritual service of worship. In other words, the whole aim of life is worship. So worship doesn't start at 11.30 on a Sunday and finish at 12. 
it extends into when we give our offering to God to say, Father, I thank you for all that I have, whether plenty or little. It shows itself when we put the needs of others above ourselves because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. It expresses itself when we wake up. We all have dreams, we all have desires, but we say, Lord, like Jesus, I lay down my will and I lay down my desires. I want what you want more for me than I want for myself. This is true worship. When we offer our bodies, our whole lives, every aspect of what we do to display Jesus. And the reward for such a sacrificial life, which Paul refers to in the second half of verse 2, is that each day we live with an instinctive knowledge of God's will for us. And this is just how Jesus lived. Jesus lived on earth, fully surrendered to his Father, and knowing exactly what his Father wanted him to do. And so for us to develop that instinctive sense of God this is your will for my life. Paul touches on it in the first half of, of verse 2, which they're going to bring up in, in just a minute. Paul is giving us two instructions here. He's saying, do not conform and be transformed. Now, initially, it feels as if Paul is asking us to focus on two fairly separate things. But actually, when you order it correctly... One is a natural consequence of the other. As we focus on God and we are transformed, our transformation means that we no longer conform to the world. You see, they are two sides. Nonconformity, being transformed, are two sides of the same process. When we talk about the word conformity and people conform to something, what we are saying is that they comply with the laws or that we behave according to what is socially acceptable. And often, conformity expresses itself outwardly. It doesn't have to be genuine. It doesn't have to come from the inside. And as Christians, when we conform to the world, what we're saying is that our lives are governed by what the world says or what society says is right and wrong rather than what God says is right and wrong. In other words, we hold and we use the world as our benchmark for how we are to live. And so what happens is that we become like everyone else in order to fit in. We lose our individuality. However, when you think about the family of God, we celebrate individuality because God has created each and every single one of us differently and uniquely for a specific purpose. And when we bring all these strengths and all these attributes that we have, we become one. And when we embrace that, we celebrate that, we don't suppress who we are, that is when the church thrives. Because there is a coming to one of different abilities, different skills to make the picture perfect. This is why Paul urges us not to conform, but to be transformed. And when we turned to Christ, we became a brand new creation. However, for most of us, like myself, before I became a Christian, we absorbed loads of lies, loads of half-truths that have really affected us. And no one quite pressed what I call the delete button. 
However, from today onwards, the stage is set for us to be transformed even further and to change a faulty belief that has been reinforced many times over a long period of time. This process of transformation is a little bit like how a caterpillar develops into a butterfly. We're not talking about a small change here. This is a dramatic change that God wants to do in our lives. And practically, to, to, be, to be transformed is when we replace the habits of the world that are so ingrained in our lives and replace it with the habits of Christ. It's a process that starts from the inside by the renewing of our minds, and this leads to a transformation of an outward life. Whatever has been said to us in the past, we can go back and process it again from the position of who we are now in Christ. No Christian, no matter what our thoughts and our identity, has to remain a victim to it. It was for freedom that Jesus set us free. God doesn't change our past necessarily, but he frees us from it. And part of that process happens when we renew our mind. Now, unsurprisingly, the devil attacks the mind because he knows that that is exactly where we make and we develop the truth that then drives what we do. He knows that if he can cause a Christian to think differently about how God sees them, then he can hinder us from finding out the amazing will and plans that God has got for each and every single one of us. This was his tactic right at the beginning of creation, and he's still at work today. So we know how the story goes. In Genesis, God, in his love for his creation, us, gave Adam and Eve an instruction that was meant for their good. However, Satan's approach was to take what God had said and convince man that God is not the measure of what is true and right. We are. And then by causing man to think of himself that way, man would always put his desires above God's and not serve God. That was his intention, to change how man thinks. And this is why it is so important that we daily and continually fill our minds with what God says. Now, for about a year now, I became interested in the topic about mindset and how the brain works. So I started following this um, doctor on social media by the name of Dr. Caroline Leaf. Now, Dr. Caroline Leaf is a neuroscientist who has studied how the mind works for over 25 years. She is considered arguably one of the world's leading authorities on the topic of the brain. She also happens to be a Christian, and she talks quite openly about the link between the profession of what she does and her relationship with God. And one of the most interesting pieces of research that she has pushed out is that up to 80% of all our mental, physical, and behavioral illness can be traced back to one thought life. And she recently released a new book called Switch on Your Brain. And I'm just going to read an expert of what she says. She says, the scientific power of our mind to change the brain is called epigenetics, and spiritually it is as a man thinks, so is he. 
The way the brain changes as a result of mental activity is scientifically called neuro neuroplasticity, and spiritually, it is the renewing of the mind. If we change our thinking, we change the wiring in our brain, thereby renewing our mind. The brain's neural circuits rewire according to how we think. Consider the following analogy. Picture a path through the woods. The more we walk on the path, the wider the path gets, making it easier to walk. The more we think about something, the more neural connections are made, making it easier to access that thought. When we stop thinking about a negative thought, the associated neural connections in our brain, like a well-worn path, begin breaking down, making it more difficult to access that negative thought. Just as it takes time for the weeds to grow over the trail, it takes time for the brain's neural circuits to break down. The longer we stop walking on the path, the more overgrown it becomes. We do this by replacing negative thoughts with godly thoughts, thus creating new paths. Now, I don't know about you, but I was so pleased when she moved on from the first paragraph to the second paragraph to talk about, consider this analogy of the woods. Because I have to be honest, the first time I read that first paragraph, I had no idea about neuroplasticity, epigenetics, whatever the, whatever the terminology was. But I think it does help to think of it like the example of the path. In other words, our thinking, how we engage our brain actually causes how our brain is made to change. The more we think about something, the more connections in our brain is formed so that it is easier to continue to access that thought. So science and scripture both show that we are naturally wired for godly thoughts. And in her book, she recommends a 21-day plan of how to renew the mind, quite simply because renewal of the mind it doesn't happen instantly. If any of you have ever tried to change who you are or some aspect that you want to change, we will all be also familiar that it takes a determined effort and it doesn't happen overnight. Similarly, the transformation that we are talking about today is no sudden thing. The working in of the new way of thinking, or shall I say the working out as well as the working in, and how the Holy Spirit enables our mind to be renewed is not a work of the moment. It's a lifelong task. And it's not so much about what we say that makes a difference, but it is the little that we feed on, that we act on, that has a transforming power. Equally, every tempting thought that we don't deal with leads to actions. And then repeating that action over and over develops into a habit. And then exercising that habit long enough will produce something in us that is not consistent with what God tells us it's true. This is another way for explaining what a stronghold is when we talk about strongholds. However, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that there is a way out of every temptation that we face. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to break strongholds in our lives. Sometimes the temptations that we face have an immediate response or have an immediate outcome, like how 
Joseph run away from Potiphar's house when he was faced by temptation. But actually, most of the time, the life and the walk of a Christian, the reality of it is that it is very rarely instant. And one of the challenges that we face when we are working to be transformed is our expectation of how long the process will take. We often expect, and I'm the same, we often expect immediate, tangible, visible results in response to the actions that we take. But often, the change that we expect doesn't happen immediately. Particularly when we don't see anything different or we don't feel anything, we can struggle with actually, is this working? However, our feelings are not an indicator of God's transforming power. We may feel helpless at times, but actually we are not helpless at all because in Christ, there is a way out of the situation that we are facing. Because, see, God is at work even when we don't see it or when we don't feel it. And that is because, as Christians, we don't live by sight. We live by faith. So every single day we take the word of God and we prove it to be true until it bears fruit in our lives. Even when we chip away every single day at a small, what seems insignificant to you, God is doing something. As I was preparing this particular bit, my mind went back to many years ago when I used to play a game on my phone called Brick Breaker. Brick Breaker was my guilty pleasure. I could spend hours playing it and it would never quite feel enough. Now for those of you who are secretly pretending that you've got no idea what Brick Breaker is yet you yet used to play it, the whole aim of the game is that the paddle board and the ball at the bottom, you move it around and the aim is to get rid of as many bricks as possible. Now, there are some bricks that are easy. You move the paddle board, the ball hits the brick ones, and then it falls away. But there were certain bricks, often awkwardly positioned, right in the middle, very hard to get to, that were very hard to break. So you would use the ball, hit it once, nothing. Twice, nothing. You keep on going back to that same brick over and over, and seemingly nothing is happening. But after the seventh or eighth time, suddenly you see a small crack in the brick. And then you aim at it, you continue, you continue, until eventually that brick breaks, you win the level, and then you go on to the next stage. See, every time you hit the brick with a ball, even though on the outside it seems like nothing's happening, the brick was getting weaker. You just have to keep aiming for that same brick and doing the same thing over and over until that brick falls. And this lesson is what God taught the Israelites when he asked them to walk around the walls of Jericho. Their progress wasn't obvious for them for six days. So God tells the Israelites, I want you to march around the city of Jericho for six days. Once every single day. I want you to march around in silence and do this. On the seventh day, I want you to march around that city seven times, and then when the trumpet sounds, when you shout, you will see the walls come falling down. So picture this. As an Israelite, marching around in your group for six days, and nothing 
happening. Not a single thing on the outside that appears that God is at work. Now, you would have thought that if God wanted to encourage the people to say, carry on going, that he would at least let a few bricks fall every single day as he walked past to say, yes, something is happening. You can also quite imagine the situation. Imagine if the Israelites and the tribes got together to uh, say, look, Joseph, we've been marching around this wall for six days. Nothing seems to be happening. I'm not really sure that God quite told us this. And then suddenly they thought, right, at the end of the six days, nothing's happening. Let's just pack up and go without realizing that at the next rising of the sun, one more day, that there lay their victory to the promise that God had provided for them. And at times we say to God, God, if you want us to break this habit, at least let me see something happening. I need to know, Lord, that somehow this is working. But God doesn't always work like that. And isn't that the way it feels sometimes? When we're trying to break free from something, from a, from a mindset, wanting to be a better Christian, a better friend, parent, husband, or whatever it is, at times it feels like nothing is changing at all, or actually sometimes that things are getting worse the more you pray. But God will say, trust my word. Live by faith in me and not by what you see. Do you trust me even though you can't see what I'm doing? Because our mind being renewed isn't so much about the outward results. It's about the inner change that God is doing in us so that our identity and what we believe is built on what he says. If you've done the Freedom in Christ course, you would know that we encourage people to work out a lie in their lives that they've been believing for a while and then find as many Bible verses as they can that tells us what is actually true and then write it down. And then we encourage you to read those Bible verses every day out loud for 40 days. Now, it may sound quite easy practically, but actually it isn't because the lie feels so true. But initially, when you're reading out the scriptures, the truth doesn't quite feel as true. And in those moments, thoughts enter into our mind about actually whether this is making a difference. And also, we naturally feel that when we think about something, it must be true because it comes from within us. But just because we think about something doesn't make it true. There are so many suggestions that come into our mind. The world around us bombards us with false ideas all the time. And so just because we think about something doesn't necessarily mean that it is correct. A good way to think about it is to think of our minds as an airport and us being the traffic controller. Lots of thoughts will ask for permission to land, but we have the control to decide what lands and which we will turn away. And of course, Satan also makes subtle suggestions all the time. The Bible says that Satan is the father of lies, and he often tries to get us to believe the lies that he says. And just over a month ago, 
in our house, my wife Lucy had a call from the bank. And using the technology that I talked about right at the beginning, the bank had spotted that there had been a number of online transactions from Lucy's bank account at a shop called Next. Now, Lucy doesn't normally shop at Next, although she does like to shop at other similar clothing stores. However, despite the similarities in these purchasing habits, that technology was so refined in its profile of Lucy that it could identify the fact that those transactions in question were not actually made by her and were fraudulent. And criminals are so clever these days that they can sometimes successfully pretend to be us by mimicking similar spending habits. But the bank had a complete and accurate profile of who Lucy is, and as a result, they were able to identify the lie even in the subtlest of differences. And sometimes the lie that we hear can be very subtle, either taking the truth and changing part of it, or actually just presenting us with half the truth. And like Satan did in the Garden of Eden, he took what God has said and then put a subtle twist on it. He then later tried to do that with Jesus in the wilderness by saying, look, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus, who is the word, said, okay, so what you said is true, but it is also written. In other words, this is the full truth. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And in that way, he defeated the enemy. And equally for us, for example, thoughts will come into our mind that say, you may be a new creation, but actually, you will never get rid of your old past. To which we say, yes, I am a new creation. The old has gone because there are two sides of the same process. Becoming a new creation means that my old has gone dead and buried. I am no longer a slave to sin. I am free in Christ. This is what happens when the word of God lives in us. And if not, we can end up just reciting and declaring scriptures all the time without really knowing who God is. And that's exactly what the Pharisees were like. They knew the scriptures inside out, but they missed the Christ in front of them. But when we regularly feed our minds with the truth of what God says, and then we patiently ask the Holy Spirit to let it engage our hearts, God will give us understanding. And then we can detect even the subtlest of lies, just like the systems the bank use. So it's not just the act of reading the Bible and declaring the truths that bring about transformation. It is when we understand the purpose of why we do it that brings about the change. See, the purpose of filling our minds with his word is so that we can see him and develop a picture of who he really is. Because once we see Jesus clearly, we are then better able to identify the lies that steal the freedom of what we have in him. And this is why we pray, Lord, help me understand the ways of your word. Because understanding God's word is the means by which we store his word in our lives 
and in our hearts and drives what we do. When our minds get illuminated by the truth of who God is, our hearts are filled with love for him, just like he has for us, and we get to know him. And the more we get to know him, the more our minds get renewed to be just like his. This is why in the Restored series, we look at things like renewing the mind. The Christian life that we live, though it is utterly submitted, even enslaved to the will of God, is yet still radically free. And that step to freedom is about knowing that we have everything that we need to live a godly life. It's not about asking God or someone else to do something for us in order to be free. God has already done that. Some things are God's responsibility and some things are ours. So no one can choose to believe the truth for you. The reward of a life that is totally surrendered to God and that has been transformed by choosing to believe the truth is that we have an increased power of perceiving instinctively, surely, what is God's will for us. And just like when you take away the disturbing metal from near a compass, it trembles to its true point. So by daily letting the truth of the word fill our minds and washing away the lies of the enemy, there comes a blessing, a reward, a clear insight into who we are and who God wants us to be. So take one error in your life that you need to replace the lie with the truth. Set out a commitment, a long-term plan to declare that truth until it changes you and that you see that truth come to light because nothing and no one can stop us from becoming who God wants us to be. Once we think of ourselves as God sees, you know, sees us, that is only when we find freedom, everlasting freedom, just as the caterpillar gets transformed and flies off into the open as a beautifully transformed butterfly. Amen.